Welcome, market participants. We're excited to launch Leading Voices in Credit, a new monthly podcast where I interview influential thought leaders in credit markets. I'm looking forward to wide-ranging discussions with the best in the business. We'll cover the full credit spectrum from investment grade to high yield, public to private, unsecured to asset-backed. We look forward to having you along. For our first episode, I'm speaking with Simon Drake Brockman, managing partner and co-founder of Pemberton Asset Management, one of the largest private credit managers in Europe. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. So let's start with the opportunity you saw in the wake of the global financial crisis to grow a private credit business. As a debt capital markets veteran, I assume you were well aware of the competitive grip banks had on borrowers at the time. Walk us through how changing bank regulation and the ongoing globalization of capital markets led to what you've built today. The concept of alternative managers providing credit really kicked off in the United States after the Resolution Trust in the early 90s. And at that time, I was running J.P. Morgan's corporate bond business. And over the next two decades, you saw the evolution of a whole series of alternative lenders across credit cards, mortgages, and ultimately corporate lending. Europe, as you say, was a different market because the European banking system was more like the U.S. in the 80s with a large number of national champions providing capital to the markets. But 2008 was really the transformational change in Europe. And post-2008, the regulators brought in very, very strict capital regimes on the European banks to really encourage them to, one, shrink their balance sheets dramatically because they were 300% of GDP. And secondly, to move them away from non-investment grade lending. And so in the decade and a half since 2008, You've seen European banks shrink substantially, creating an opportunity for managers like ourselves to come in and be the alternative provider of capital, bringing pension and insurance capital into the European marketplace in the same way you saw that in the United States in the early 2000s through to now. So I think it's a natural evolution. Europe's a couple of decades behind the United States in that evolution. And I think banking regulation in Europe is only going to continue to move more and more assets off bank balance sheets into private manager hands like ourselves, where we can provide the expertise to bring that capital in to replace them. So you've created a pan-European private credit business at Pemberton. There's long been a perception that European credit markets are highly fragmented and differentiated in terms of creditor protection. Is that a misplaced concern? Yeah, it is a bit misplaced, if I can be honest. I built a business at Royal Bank of Scotland post the evolution of a single currency in 99, where we became the dominant 25% market share of underwriting of large cap leverage buyouts in the European marketplace. And at that time, the legal jurisdiction differentiation was quite substantial. But post-2008, you saw quite a significant change in the harmonization of bankruptcy and enforcement laws across the European Union. If you look at some of the jurisdictions, you know, we've seen the most significant change is Spain, where you used to have quite difficulty getting consensus around restructuring because minorities could hold out. And the Spanish adopted a bankruptcy regime in early 2010, which is pretty identical to the UK. And that's now been tested on a number of occasions and shown to be quite easy to use and effective in, in enabling restructurings to happen harmoniously. Italy, there was always a legal structure around enforcement. The problem in Italy was getting through the court system. 
And under Renzi as Prime Minister, he brought in a bankruptcy specialised courts. And that's mean the ability to enforce on collateral is now quite easy. And you can even see some of the big players in true distress coming in and buying small SME loans, personal loans and others, um, and running substantial funds in that marketplace. And then if you look at, for example, France, where it was more around labour laws and restructuring of workforces, Macron and others have made that now much simpler and much more straightforward. Overlaying all of that, the European Union has brought in what they call their capital markets regime. And that capital markets regime is designed to start harmonizing the European restructuring and bankruptcy laws as well. Clearly, there's still more nuances in each of those markets. And we're very fortunate because we have a large team. It's a multinational team. So we have real expertise in all of the countries. And we've been able to demonstrate that on multiple occasions so that we can create successful restructurings and bring the companies back to a, you know, a very successful place. Just following up a little bit on that, Simon, geographically, where are the best opportunities in private credit now across Europe? If I look at it today, I mean, the market where it was adopted the fastest was clearly the UK. You know, the UK has a much more, if I can say, Anglo-Saxon approach to financing. But if you now look at it today, it's pretty broadly based across the whole of Europe. In Germany, we have about 17, 18% of our portfolio. France, similar number. UK, around 25% of our portfolio. And then, you know, the other countries make up the rest. I think the approach that we take is inevitably competition will be such that at some point certain markets get overheated and you want to be able to step away from them and focus on better value opportunities in other markets. And what we've done is built this network of nine origination offices across Europe, having the largest footprint of any manager, which gives us an ability to really look at relative value say, okay, if I'm doing this in the telco sector, if I look at the opportunities across the 20-odd markets in Europe, this is the best one coming out of Germany or coming out of France. And I think, to me, that's the key part. You're not geographically restricted like a bank, which is focusing on its domestic market. You're a true pan-European stock picker, if I can call it that, finding the best value and working with the private equity firms to structure the deals to give you the best protection and return. So you've stated a preference for lending to high-quality businesses with market-leading positions across defensive industries. That certainly resonates given where we are in the credit cycle. But how does that square up with your investors' expectations for premium returns? What people sometimes miss with private lenders is that the actual cost of the borrower is not that different to what you would go to a high-yield market. The only difference is in the high yield market, you're paying away fees to a whole series of advisors and trustees and other people, uh, banks who underwrite the, the risk, et cetera, where in a direct lending situation, we're negotiating directly with the borrower and we're able to get that same amount of wallet share in the loan rather than paid away in third-party fees. And we did an interesting study, which we've shown a lot of our LPs, and probably the premium is, in Europe, only 50, 75 basis points for the tailoring of the loan. But if you look at it as a premium over public markets, it's about 300 basis points. And so, therefore, the rest of the difference is the fee wallet that has to go to the third-party advisor. So I think... If you look at Europe versus the United States, it's quite a different market. I've run the US for seven.
seven years. I was quite surprised and staggered when I went to the US in 1990 to set up JP Morgan's corporate bond business, just how mature the M&A and buyout market was. And it really didn't start in Europe until 2000 when we had the single currency. So mid-market buyout private equity firms in the United States have been going for decades. And therefore, they tend to be much more focused, I would say, in traditional industries in the United States. In Europe, we really saw the proliferation of buyout firms in the mid-market space post 2000. 10, 12. And what they've tended to do is focus much more on the new economy. And with the advance of cloud computing, genealogy and areas like this, they've come into Europe where they say, okay, we can focus in outsourced business services, which are necessities for the companies and with very stable revenues. They can look at healthcare roll-up, which is decades behind the United States. They can look at contractual software service providers, CRM systems, and things like that, which means that you have quite a different look in the type of companies that have been bought inside of Europe to the traditional buyouts in the United States. And then the other big thing is these are primary buyouts. Most of them are family businesses being bought by a private equity firm who's going to professionalize the management and then use the platform for roll-ups to make them into a much, much bigger mid-market companies. What people forget is mid-market in Europe is three to 500 turnover. Mid-market in the US is a billion, two billion, three billion turnover. So that consolidation has already happened dramatically in the United States. We're in very early stage here, and that's why private equity is so excited about the European marketplace. So at Pemberton, you've rolled out a number of strategies which presumably are responding to the opportunity across the credit spectrum even going up a bit into the bank market in the case of your working capital strategy. Walk us through your strategic thinking. Well, what we've done is we've, we've created a family of direct lending funds. So in the U.S., people tend to have just a single buyout fund. Yeah. You know, we've done a low-levered, double-B-type fund, which is looking at much more conservative structured deals where the banks historically have been playing. But we have the ability to do... 200, 300 million in size, which the banks can't compete on. And these are for companies with management teams who, with the private equity firms, say, listen, we don't want to take on too much leverage. We want to focus on the growth of the business. We then have our traditional four or five times levered mid-market fund, which is our flagship fund. And then we have strategic credit, which is our capital solutions fund, where we can look at more complex first lien, second lien, MEVs, and even down to equity. So the idea there is that if you're a private equity firm today in Europe and you need capital, whether you want to do three times levered deal or if you want to do all the way through to equity, we have the appropriate capital. You can come and talk to us and we'll be able to price that deal at the appropriate margin. And that's super attractive to the private equity firms. They don't need to go to a bank. They don't need to go to a distressed player or something to get equity. We're a full solutions shop. Recently, we've added in the uh, NAV lending product. You know, we see that lending as one of the really big growth areas of the market, private equity firms wanting to have more flexibility in being able to develop businesses post-investment period. And so we run two strategies there, a low-level strategy with kind of 10% NAV. And then what we is our PREF strategy, which is looking at probably around 25 to 30%. NAV lending. And so today, private equity firms, we can take them through the full life cycle of the fund. And if you're an LP, you can come and talk to us about single A NAV lending rated. You can come and look at our double B fund, 
you can look at our single B funds and you can look at our higher yielding strategic credit. So we can provide the opportunity for you to create a broad approach to corporate risk in Europe. And we've just set up a big SMA for one of the global consultants. And, you know, they're going to have hundreds of names in that portfolio because they've invested across all of our strategies. And what we really want to be is a solution provider to the LP, as well as providing the appropriate capital to the borrower. Thanks for that, Simon. All right, let's talk for a minute about competition in the market. Mark Rowan at Apollo has been making the case that private credit really has a symbiotic relationship with the banks. They want the relationship and the cross-sell, but not the asset, and private credit is happy to take the asset. Do you agree with that? Is it the same in Europe? Theoretically, that's correct. And the banks are looking to have much more today a business model where they're focused on fee income and investment grade risk. And if they can somewhat outsource the non-investment grade risk, but still have some of the transactional services, that's the holy grail for a major bank today. Developing that is difficult because there is not necessarily the alignment of interest between the two. So what, you know, what we've really done is said, listen, we want to go direct. So, you know, the reason we've put lots of people on the ground in the key countries and we have all the language skills and analytic skills inside the firm with our 17 credit analysts, et cetera, is we're somewhat replicating the bank model that I previously built at RBS. Um, which got us to number one in Europe in, in the banking business and has now put us in you know, certainly the top three in Europe today. Our view is we want to be front and center, engage with the management team and actively engage with the private equity firm to make sure we generate the returns that we expect and that they have a good outcome and, and we have a great outcome as a lender. So we've seen the public markets come back here a bit. Given your background, Simon, how do you see the competition between public and private markets unfolding over the course of the cycle? I think they're, you know, they're really partners in, those, in the same way that you know, private equity and public equity sit side by side. And what you are seeing is a rebalancing of asset allocation. You know, if you look at Europe, you know, we started off as an equity and government bond market in the 90s. We then evolved into equities, government bonds and corporate risk and securitization as we developed our capital markets business, but it was very heavily publicly dominated in that space. And, you know, over the last certainly 15 years, et cetera, you've seen the allocators in Europe and increasingly globally coming into Europe wanting to have a decent allocation to private markets in this very, very large economic block. And they're seeing the space being created by the banks withdrawing. And so, you know, I don't think it's kind of us or them it's we have a very significant part to play in the evolution of companies from 200 million turnover to a billion turnover and, and beyond. And then ultimately, they will go to the public markets and they will become financing in those markets because they have the scale of borrowing that they need and probably the, the right credit rating as well to be able to tap into the public markets. And so call us the hothouse of development of you know, corporate Europe and moving that into large cap companies, just like the US, because, you know, a billion, two billion turnover company in the United States is in the public markets. And we're evolving these businesses with private equity firms to make them look like US competitors over the next five to 10 years. All right, let's explore the topic of scale here for a minute. I think in the US, private credit has been around long enough for market participants to know that the barriers to entry in this business are actually quite low. 
establish a fund, assemble a staff, make investments. A lot of folks can get into this business, but our view has always been that the barriers to success can be quite high. Let's talk about how you think about scale, Simon. What does advantageous scale in this business look like to you? I think your assessment is very true. You know, there's a lot of players in the United States. There's a much smaller group that I would see as being highly successful in the marketplace. And to me, starting my career at JP as a graduate and, and working for the bank, you know, in three locations, the key thing we were taught very, very early on was credit underwriting and really, really making sure you were backing the right businesses. And to me, how do you do that in the most effective way in a European context? Firstly is you've got to have a great team in each of the countries. So I'm fortunate if I look at my head of Germany, France, Spain, Italy, UK, they've all run the number one business in those jurisdictions for 10 years prior to coming to Pemberton. And so they have a great track record with private equity in those markets. And now they're you know, bringing those relationships to us. But then what we've done is we've overlaid that with a highly analytical group. So we run a completely separate credit department inside the firm. Our chief credit officer, Nicole Gates, was a senior credit officer for Dresner for over, I think, 15 years, responsible for leverage finance, and then got recruited to GE Capital to run their international restructuring unit for a decade. And so she's got tremendous experience and we have nine senior sector analysts underneath her and then a team of seven or eight junior analysts supporting them and to me the differentiation we've built into the firm is you know banks run their lending under sectors so i had a telco team i had an industrials team and all that when i was at the bank that's how you run high yield that's how you run equities and we think in direct lending that's how you've got to run your business when my team brings in a great healthcare deal or a food deal, I want my top analyst to be sitting down analyzing the deal, who's got deep industry knowledge, understands what to be looking for in the operating model, the margins, the management team, etc. Because I don't subscribe to the concept that as an originator, you can do a healthcare deal one day and a tech deal the next. None of us have that depth of knowledge. I think we'd all say we have a deep knowledge but I want to bring in a real specialist who follows that sector to complement that and to really make sure we're thinking about everything before we go into the deal. And actually, if you talk to the private equity firms we service, they really like that. They tell us, listen, you guys provide really deep feedback. You're very focused on the key drivers of the business, and that helps them in underwriting the deal as well. And that, to me, has been the differentiation. Big origination, big analytics team, and then a range of funding options inside the firm that we can be appropriately pricing the capital for the deal that they want to do, which is what's meant we've been able to build such a big franchise in relatively you know, a short period of time of seven or eight years. So let's change gears a bit here and talk about the current environment and the change in the credit cycle. There's been a lot of money allocated to private credit in the post-GFC slash QE era, where lenders really haven't experienced a period of sustained macro weakness. So first, how do you think about the asset class in terms of how it will perform broadly? And then second, how do you see Pemberton's business in particular faring? I think if you look at it at a macro level, and this is Europe, Europe and the US, we're in a, you know, we're starting from a much stronger position. You know, I remember doing deals in 06 where we were doing buyouts with 25, 30% equity checks. So there was just no room for error in the capital structure. And therefore, on the back of that, 
we saw an, a significant increase in defaults, not so much losses. And if you look at the, that period of time, I think people were pleasantly surprised in what the actual um, losses were in that space. If you look at today, for the last decade, we've been doing deals with 50% equity checks, so much greater uh, buffer in there. And then I think if you come into Europe, it's quite a different market because Europe is focused on what I call much more service-related industries and new economy industries. And so some of the real things that hurt you in downturns, which is high capital expenditure inside the business, if you have a high capex business and a sharp movement in rates, it drains a lot of money out of the business and gives very little room for error inside the business. I think if you look at where we are today, software services and outsourced business services and that have very modest actual capital expenditure or capex in their businesses. It's much more variable cost because it's around people in that space. So therefore, what I think you will see once again, particularly in the European marketplace, you may see you know, when you will see a increase in defaults, but I don't think you'll see significant losses in that process. You actually want defaults. Defaults means you can get the borrower to the table and get the private equity firm to shore up the equity base of the firm and to get the borrower to make changes. The challenge in the United States is you've gone to Cub Light, and unfortunately, by the time you get the default in Cub Light, your business is usually in pretty bad shape. And therefore, the best assets may have been moved out and the ability to turn around the business is very, very difficult, which is why we like the European market. We like the covenant structure. We like the tightness of documentation and we like the ability to get the borrower to really do things beforehand. If you look at absolute borrowing costs, we also are going to benefit. We'll, we'll be a couple of hundred plus basis points lower than the United States. And therefore, the U.S. economy, for all of its dynamicness, is going to now suffer from a pretty high interest rate environment for a reasonable period of time. And therefore, that two or maybe even 300 basis point differential in Europe will mean that for companies, that's a lot better than it is in the United States, where it's going to become quite painful. One of the debates we have here in the States, and I assume in Europe as well, is whether the secular shift of banks ceding market share to non-banks and markets in non-investment grade lending will increase volatility in the credit cycle. Our view here at KBRA is that the growth of private capital is a positive development for the global financial system as risk is diffused, more prudently funded, and less subject to regulatory discretion. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think definitely. If I look at our funds, you know, we have 40, 50, 60 LPs in a fund. And if you look at their absolute exposure, you're talking about ranging from 1 million to probably 25 million. And if you're you know, a major insurance group, pension plan and all of that, these are relatively very modest amounts versus the overall scale of the capital that you're managing. So I think it spreads the risk much more through the system into the hands of long-term allocators. The challenge in a bank is, and you've seen it you know, most recently with Credit Suisse, and you've obviously had the issues with Silicon Valley Bank, is banks are very highly geared entities, even after the, the regulation of the last 10 years. And therefore, if you're a bank sitting with 250 or 500 million on your balance sheet and something goes wrong, 
That's a painful, painful experience. And that's why the regulators are pushing the banks out of the business. And they want them to not hold that type of risk anymore. They want that risk sitting with thousands of other institutional investors. And we become the conduit to bring the expertise to those institutions so they can be comfortable in that process. I think the one thing you said earlier, which is very, very true, I think what we're going to go through over the next 12, 24 months will differentiate the really strong managers from some of the less strong managers. And I think that's good for the industry because I think it gives people a better understanding of the risk and what to look for in managers in in their selection. So I think it's a positive. I don't think the term that keeps getting banded around of shadow banking, people should be fearful of it. I think, unfortunately, the real problem today sits more in the banking system, where banks as a transmission of capital have really changed, particularly in the non-investment grade space, because they've become much more, if I can say, intermediaries of trying to underwrite and distribute in that space. So you don't have the same alignment uh, that you've had previously. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much for your time, Simon. Very interesting color and perspective on a very hot topic. Appreciate your time today. Ben, it's been great. Thanks very much for inviting me. And um, I hope your listeners find it you know, helpful in understanding a bit more what's happening in Europe. So there you have it. Thanks for joining us on our first episode of Leading Voices in Credit. We'll be covering the gamut in credit trends, so please email me if there's a topic or market participant that you think would make for a great episode. You can reach me at van.hesser at kbra.com. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist, and thousands of listeners each Friday for the latest episode of my Three Things in Credit podcast, where I reveal three things in credit markets that you should know about. That's Van Hesser's Three Things in Credit. Subscribe now.